and welcome to America This Week from the Harris Poll. I'm John Gersma, CEO, and I am with our Chief Strategy Officer, as always, and my colleague in all polls and great <laughs> things, Libby Rodney. Libby, what's going on? Hey, John. How you doing? I'm good. I'm excited for our show. I think we've got some really great data to share this morning. Well, listen, you know, if you're a new listener, Libby and I are pollsters and social scientists, and our podcast is simply aimed to try to give you an unbiased pulse on what's happening each week in American society. And so we're going to do that. We're going to highlight the latest cultural shifts that we see in the marketplace that business people need to sort of focus on, or just people that are curious. And you don't have to like numbers, but it maybe helps if you do. (laughs) Libby, we love our community. And we do welcome polling ideas. So just drop us a note on LinkedIn. And it was really nice to see this review, FJ Staub, who says, this is my favorite podcast to feel informed about the data, trends, and consumer insights behind the biggest headlines of the week. So thanks, FJ. So Libby, let's get into it. What are we going to cover in this week's episode? We have a really great story for you guys. So at the heart of our economy, we're feeling some real pain and that's being cash trapped by small business owners. Mm. Um, the second story is about move over Instagram opposition social is here and it's coming for your lunch. <laughs> and there's just an SNL skit about that. And then the number three is not only are we cash strapped from a small business point of view, but we're feeling care strapped. Parents, millennial parents are feeling care strapped with older and younger populations that they have to take care of. Well, I can't wait to get into these. Well, <laughs> as always, we're going to start with the weekly heat. And Libby, I think there were three really interesting numbers this week that that we want to highlight. First number, I want you to imagine a a roulette wheel and we're just going to spin the ball and we just hit 86. I actually don't know if that's a number. Let's go with it. (laughs) Yeah, right. Okay, so 86. 86% of Americans in our Harris polling this week are worried about a potential U.S. recession. And Libby, that's up five points from the previous week and six points from last month. So clearly, this is a dominating, growing sort of mind space, you know, with American voters and Americans in general. The second number is 16. There are only the 16% of Americans today who, as of this week, rate their finances as very good. And that number is down from 21% in mid-August. So I think to your theme of feeling cash-strapped, you're definitely seeing that in the data. And then the last number is 72. 72% of Americans this week are concerned over their living expenses. And that is, while down two points from last week, it's up four points from last month. And interesting, Libby, inside those numbers, we asked Americans, in what part of your daily life do you feel inflation the most? And not surprisingly, but really substantially, gas is at 70% this week and groceries at 74%. And Libby, what's important about those numbers is they are nearly twice the distance and size of the next nearest expendable, which or consumable, which is utilities at 47%. So clearly, you know, the, the moves yesterday about OPEC tightening supplies and the, mm-hmm. the potential for gas raises, gas prices raising is going to be a significant concern. Absolutely. I'm just wondering, John, how it impacts coffee prices, because in New York, the lattes are going up to $7 a cup, so it's just getting out of control. It's really interesting, right? The visibility that you're seeing. I think that's one of the things we should get into and talk about is how are businesses, at what point can they keep passing on these costs Mm -hmm. versus really dealing with the angst and anxiety in the American consumer? But anyway, let's let's get into it. Our first story is, as you highlighted, are really about cash straps 
staff small businesses. This is a great new report that, that we did with UNIT, which specializes in, in small business strategy. And first of all, I mean, Libby, did you know this number that according to the SBA, which is the U.S. Small Business Administration, a government agency, small businesses in America account for 44% of all U.S. economic activity. Yeah. So that's four in 10 of our GDP in, in the States are, are derived from small businesses. And two-thirds, 62% of all new jobs created over the past five years have also come from new small businesses. So that is a really significant sort of issue. And we are seeing in this report with UNIT, basically small businesses are struggling, right? They are facing consumers on overdrive. They're telling us they don't have the financing they need right now to hire and to keep up with consumer demand or to resupply their inventory. And so all this really is at the heart of their frustration with traditional banks. They, they kind of feel that the banking system isn't working fast enough for them. So let's look at the numbers. I, I love your, your take on this. But first, small businesses are like consumers are worried about the economic climate. We see that seven in 10, nearly eight in 10, 77% of them are worried about the impact of inflation and the same number roughly are bracing for the potential impact of an economic downturn, right? So they see storms ahead. And so as a result, nearly two thirds of them right now, as of this week, are seeking additional financing. But here's the problem. 68% in this unit Harris poll say they need faster access to funding because over a third of them at 37% are worried about running out of cash in the next year if they can't get access soon. So Libby, essentially, tell me what you think about this. We're basically asking for like a bank of Amazon, right? 71% of these small business owners believe they should be able to get a business loan as quickly as they can order something online. And eight in 10 of them would be open to getting financial services from companies other than traditional banks, like technology companies, e-commerce platforms, and business software tools. I mean, just let's stop there for a second. What are you kind of seeing inside these numbers and in this frustration with small businesses? Yeah. I mean, I think it's really interesting because, you know, back to your point, small businesses are really the economic heart of this country. And so, if they're cash strapped, if they're looking for financing, we all as kind of consumers, but as small business owners, you see what's kind of coming down the road. And so they're working to prepare, they're working to stay open. And John, you and I had a conversation about this yesterday. You know, not only did they have to deal with the pandemic, it was the first wave, but then the second mm. wave shut down a lot of small businesses, at least locally in New York, you could see it. They, they were able to make one wave and not the other. And now they're facing, you know, an economic downturn. And so they're smart, they're agile, they're pivoting, but yet the systems aren't able to flex with them. The systems aren't able to be agile with them. And that just seems a little bit inherently unfair, right? Because we need and want these small businesses to, to exist. So we need products and services and solutions that support them because ultimately that supports and grows our economy. Well, that's absolutely the case. And man, when you look at how frustrated they are with banks, this was a, a really illuminating stat. We had nearly a third Libby of small business owners in America, 31%, say that they would rather wait in line at the DMV than apply for a loan at a traditional bank. Right. 
talk about a pain point. 22% said they'd rather sit bumper to bumper in traffic. 20%, you ready for this one? 20% said they would rather assemble IKEA furniture than, than apply for a loan at a traditional bank. Which is at least eight hours of work, let's be honest. <laughs> well, I mean, this is not a ringing endorsement for uh, customer service, is it? No. And the thing is, we've done a lot of work in this space over the years with partners like MasterCard. And what we've seen over and over is that small business owners who, especially if you're a woman small business owner or you're a BIPOC community and you're a small business owner, you traditionally have not been getting those loans that you need. And you've been going to the bank and you've been turned away. You're, you're, you're not getting access to the traditional financial system. It's not working for you. And so what those small business owners are doing have been putting money on credit cards, you know, accessing loans from friends and family members, crowdsourcing. They're figuring out ways mm -hmm. to reroute the system. So in a time, John, where we see that from the consumer level as well, from going to cryptocurrency, fintech, all these different ways to reroute the traditional financial system, it makes a ton of sense that small business owners are also frustrated by the traditional system and wanting kind of something else from it. Libby, absolutely. And I mean, I think the cautionary tale for any business person or marketer listening to this is this is just a classic example of, of a market sort of expressing a need, right? And with entrepreneurs finding pain points when your customer proposition is uttered in the same company as the DMV, clearly you got to get excited about the opportunity. I, I mean, I'm thinking back, Libby, I don't know if you remember this. This is about maybe five years ago. You and I were doing call for a, a major telco client and we were talking to small business owners in Atlanta and Dallas and Tampa. And we were doing our own focus groups and moderating these sessions. And I mean, what I really take away from this is like their care, their craftsmanship, they how they live their business. And they just felt like, you know, providers didn't understand that. And I think that's kind of the dynamic happening here. You know, businesses basically are facing a huge risk when they feel like their customer feels like they're taking them for granted. You know, I mean, SMBs, you know, small businesses, they essentially feel that banks don't treat them with the same reverence that they have for their own business and their customers. And I think that's an opportunity for, for someone to step in. It's absolutely an opportunity. And I think out of that research, kind of the key insight was this idea that business can't wait. And that's especially true for small business. And it's like, you can't wait to your local coffee shop or architecture firm or whatnot to pivot your business. You've had to do that during the pandemic. You have to do it now with supply chain issues. You have all of these insane things going on as a small business, medium business owner. Yet when you need access to financing, you need it that moment, right? And so I think that's where there's just a huge opportunity to service the need, as you say, but it's also huge because there's a huge market in terms of the monetary flow. These loans are, they're needed, and but they're big. So it's, it's interesting that it hasn't, you know, it's just at the precipice of being solved. I think what's interesting is unit, the company that commissioned this research, they are an open banking platform that allows things like Etsy to provide banking to their clientele, to so mm -hmm. the small business owner. So the minute that someone as a Etsy jewelry designer gets a new order and needs to ramp up production, they can do that quickly 
by banking through Etsy now. And I think that's so interesting because it takes the pressure off the small business owner to then go to another platform, another thing, and kind of centralizes it and makes it really about what do they do with the value that they offer into the world and kind of taking away some of those barriers that they feel on a day-to-day basis. I think it's super interesting. And, and just to leave it at, at this last point, your point is so spot on about how many times you know small businesses had to pivot during COVID. And I just wonder aloud if they are just faster and more agile out of necessity. Maybe large traditional businesses haven't, while they faced their own challenges during COVID, haven't learned how to be as completely resilient and sort of anti-fragile and fast enough. And I think that's what you're seeing in, in this frustration in these numbers. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the expectation that if you start getting loans and money access in a different manner as a consumer, you you bring that over into your business expectations too. So I think we're seeing some of that shift as well. Like why is fintech and DeFi helping my life over here, but not helping my life yet as a small business owner? And so I think mm. there's a huge opportunity as those things converge to serve as small business owners. And as consumers, if you're not a small business owner, you say, well, what, what does this matter to me? I mean, it matters. Not only should you be shopping locally, but you should be thinking about how do you help those small businesses get the financing to service you, right? To get the waiters, to get the staff, to get the supply that they need to make your experience good. So it can be this self-fulfilling um, community of value sharing. Interesting. And keep that latte under $7, please. Please. <laughs> no, this is really good stuff. So why don't we take a break between our two big stories and, and have a palate cleanser? We do this every week, which is sort of a, a number of the week that sort of makes us laugh, learn, or lean in. So Libby, what have you got for us? Yeah. So John, we talked about Be Real, which is a social media app about eight months ago when it started to pop up around college campuses. But now it's become a little bit of a cultural moment. And it reminds me of like planking in the in the 2010 when everyone, people were doing it and then everyone just really started doing it. And actually SNL had, great, had a great skit on Be Real last weekend. And I would check it out if you don't know what the app is because it really kind of puts into perspective what it is, but I'm going to tell you what it is as well. Yeah, what is Be Real? So Be Real is a social media app that prompts users only once a day to take a picture. And you can only take this picture in a two minute time frame. If you take it after that time frame, it just lets everyone else know that you did that. And there's no filters and there's no likes. So they call it basically the anti-Instagram. But the other thing that it does is it creates this like very fun time constraint. So for younger people on college campuses or just younger people, when they're out, they're like, it's the moment to be real. And they pause everything, join their friends, do what they're doing. I was on Be Real. And as someone who is a little older and doesn't have as much of active life, most of my Be Real was just like me in a coffee shop. Or me in bed. Like, it wasn't <laughs> that exciting. Um, but there's definitely this cultural momentum. So we wanted to back that out and say, well, what's happening in research about that? Like, what are the numbers? So 69% of Gen Z and millennials are either currently or would consider using Be Real. And when you look at the numbers who are using it, actually, Gen Z is at 17%. Millennials are at 22%. And anyone over the age of 41, <laughs> that's only 4%. So it's really younger populations that are driving the advancement of this app. But I think what's more fascinating 
is what do they want from social media? So we asked a couple of questions around that. And there are a couple of new things. 35% Gen Z and millennials want to limit the time, the time have a time limit that an individual can spend on the apps each day. Hmm. 32% want platforms to help schedule in-person events so you can meet up with your friends, hmm. which I think is fabulous because it's so hard to meet up with people anyways. Right. And then 24% want don't want filter images or, or any kind of filtered content on social media. So the thing is, I'm not sure if Be Real is going to be there forever. I think SNL at the end of their skit said it kind of perfectly. They said download Be Real now because it's only going to be fun for a couple more months. <laughs> and it feels like a little bit like a, a cultural desire to get authentic, to be real, to be out in public or be at home. But the thing is, what I think what's more interesting is this desire to have limits, the desire to get back in person, the desire to live a world that's not filtered. And so it'll be interesting to see how bigger social media platforms take on those new desires and how new partners come up as well. And so I think the implication for brands is really think about what do they want to be doing on social media and why and how can you intersect with that? I don't think the implication is you need to get on Be Real today. I think the implication is how do you help people foster a less filtered world? How do you help people foster more in time, real moments together? How do you help foster limits so that you can go live your life. Like, I think that's hmm. what the app's getting at. And those things, you know, an Instagram, the Snapchat, they might pick those up and run with them in different ways. I don't think that's ever going to be TikTok because TikTok's all about live in the feed. So, right. but it's just, it's interesting. But you raise, you raise a really interesting point about view real. And I, I wonder if there's an analogy to sort of Napster, you know, it was like a comet, a disruptor. It didn't stick around. But it sort of gave birth to Apple Music and Spotify. I mean, is that sort of the same dynamic here? It kind of seems like Be Real is like poking the social media bear and saying, you know, there has to be a better way to, to do social. Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, the media and people, the easiest way they describe it is the anti-Instagram. And a week ago mm -hmm. or two weeks ago, we talked about in our study how boomers thought that Instagram was going to be the future of social media, like paving the path. And Gen Z thought it was going to be TikTok. And so I think there's just a lot of uncertainty about where social media is headed and why. But there's a big desire to be on social media type platforms, but not always on them. And also make sure you're connecting in real life. And so I think that's what Be Real is kind of doing a little bit more of for people. Interesting. Well, let's uh, let's get on to our second big story. We talked earlier about cash-strapped small businesses. Now we're going to talk about care-strapped millennials, and in particular, care-strapped millennial parents. This is some brand new Harris Poll data that we just fielded with Fortune, and we'll put the uh, story in the, in the show notes. But um, it was real interesting. Found that that nearly a third, thirty-two percent of millennial parents say they feel sandwiched, meaning that they're taking care of their younger children 
children while at the same time regularly caring for their aging parents. So 88% of millennial parents, and remember millennials are 26 to 41, so they're sort of in that prime age of having kids and busy families, but they also have parents that are getting older. So 88% of them with having whom have at least one living parent say they feel and expect rather to help their aging parents regularly in the future. So there's great intention here, even though they're squeezed, there's just a real sense of devotion that they want to do a better job, perhaps maybe than previous generations in taking care of their aging parents. But there's just a ton of economic and social headwinds in doing so. Because we also learned that three quarters of these millennial parents, 77%, worry about affording their living expenses. And over half of those employed, those millennial parents, also worry about potentially losing their job. And that's at 57% Libby, which far outstrips the general population at 45%. So you just get this portrait, right, of these really, really sort of under the gun under the pressure, well-meaning, time-constrained millennial parents that really are sort of feeling this crunch. And as it projects out, we also found that two-thirds of them fret over their retirement savings and equally 63%, nearly two-thirds, their short-term savings. So it feels Libby, like they've got nowhere to turn, right? It's like they're worried about the future. They're worried about today. They want to do the right thing. And as a result, Libby, this is probably the most stark thing that I, that I saw in this data is that six out of 10, 59% of these millennial parents believe that the overall American dream is attainable today. That's only, you know, six and 10. So there's a significant sort of sense that, that the world is sort of, you know, extremely tough right now. What do you think is going on here with millennials as, as, a, as a millennial parent? <laughs> We're screwed. No. <laughs> I mean, I think it, it's interesting because whenever we talk about this research, this kind of research to other people who are sitting in the room who have been in the situation before and have been in a sandwich situation, they go, isn't this just a lifestyle? And mm-hmm. shouldn't millennials just get over it in some ways? A life stage, right? A life stage. Yeah, excuse me. But it's, it's interesting because it's not that they're just being sandwiched. I think what's interesting is they're really being squashed. <laughs> hmm. And let me tell you why they're being squashed. There's a couple of factors. One is that millennials are having kids older. And right. so there's more overlap when you have kids at an older age that you're going to have younger kids and older parents at the same time, mm-hmm. very young kids. And so that makes it really challenging. Economically, millennials are not where Gen X or boomers were at the same point of their lives. So when you look at where they are in their 30s and their savings rates and all of those type of things, boomers and Gen X are were ahead in their 30s during the same time. So you just have less financial stability and why they went through, you know, they have student loans, rising housing prices. We see the increased financial inequities and a less stable job market. That's been happening while millennials have been building their wealth. Mm -hmm. And then the third thing is socially, they're just a little, they're less support structures. Every year we do a piece of work about parents' confidence with kinder care. And we see that every year, whether you're red, blue, or purple. So this is a unifying factor of all political stances. If you're a parent with a child, you don't have enough support. You don't have enough access to childcare. You find it hard to find, and it's really hard to afford. And everyone wants the government or employers to stand up and help them through this time. So they're just being more squashed than they are even sandwiched. And I think that's really challenging. 
it's it's really incredibly difficult to sort of look at, the, at this data. And yet at the same time, millennial parents told us that 86% of them believe their children's future income and wealth will be better than their own. And it just harkens back to like, you know, when we had the, the great economic expansion of the 50s and 60s, and that generation, sort of the seniors, the greatest generation, had that optimism about their kids, the boomers. And it feels like millennials are, are in this like trough, right, in this valley because of of COVID and the economy and, and all these lack of structures you talked about that they're sort of moving past themselves a little bit and talking about their kids. It's, it's pretty inc- interesting and challenging. Yeah. And you know, it's also, there's this great study that was done across 13 nations and it shows peak points of happiness. So you're really happy until you hit about 30 and then it goes down <laughs> this valley, you go down into the, all the way down um, and it descends and it descends until you start to hit in your like 55 and then it starts to ascend again. So there's just, there is this time across a pretty much any country you live in mm-hmm. where it just becomes harder because you're at your peak of your career, you know, trying to manage that, trying to understand where that's going. Plus you're taking care of your kids. Plus you're taking care of your parents in a lot of cases. And you have the financial stress of all of that. Yeah. I think what's interesting though, is sometimes when you paint this picture to marketers or talking to people, it's not very fun for them, right? So they're like, that is so oh, true. I don't want to talk about this. Like, I, go yeah. find me the young person who's just, you know, yeah. jumping on a boat and getting lost in the world. And we like, want our brand to be aspirational. Exactly. <laughs> but the thing is, I think that's a real lost opportunity because it's like being in the trenches. When someone's in the trench with you, when when you feel seen and reflected for the challenges you're going through or the life's little moments or the little truths in life that even if you are in a difficult situation, something brings you a little bit of joy. That is like a real relationship, right? That's like a, where a friend comes in. And so I think just being your aspirational friend that takes you by the hand and takes you over to Thailand, that's wonderful. But actually the, the people that we create daily ritualized relationships with loyalty relationships with are actually the people who are more there when we're a little bit down and out and we need someone to lean on or we need someone to see us and just affirm who we are and what we're doing and that it's it's valuable and it's worthwhile that is such an interesting point like how, how do brands differentiate in times of challenge right by being there with you and yeah. i mean i think if you step back like you know this pod both of these stories libby were really about businesses listening to to society or or not right yeah but but th- that's the opportunity right how do you step in as a business or brand and be a problem solver rather than living in your own sort of narrow worldview i mean this is this idea of empathy this business model and you know people poo poo that and they go oh, that sounds all soft and squishy but it's really true right yeah. you know if if you are saying like i love that word i think you said you know i see you i hear you i i can tell that you're struggling you know you matter to us we're going to help you somehow release some pressure or we're going to be there for you i mean that is how you build loyalty yeah I, I absolutely think that I think it's it's interesting how much time we spend um, over the years of our careers, John, uh, in these types of conversations where it's like, how do I get that right way in to make that loyalty? And yeah. um, sometimes it, it feels a little 
superficial. Um, and in good times, sometimes it's actually harder, right? Yeah. In a good economy, sometimes it's more challenging because there's so much more opportunity and abundance. But actually in a downtime, when people really need your help, it's the most wonderful time to be generous, to be empathetic, to find ways to help people and to overinvest in that relationship now for the long term. And so when you think about these small businesses or you think about millennials who are care strapped, it's like this is the time to invest because those millennials will have more affluence than ever in the next 10 years. Small businesses fuel and pump the economy. That is the economy that all businesses rely on. So it's just it it just seems to start to make business sense to really evaluate and think about these things. I think that's a great point. It's really about slow selling, right? You're making mm-hmm. a sale. It just meant not be at the pace that your your traditional funnel, upper funnel, lower funnel activity <laughs> sort um, of measure. And, this is and, right. And that gets into another point that we have to have on the pod at some at some point, John, which is the point that There's a little bit of a revolt, especially amongst younger people, um, younger millennials and Gen Z about why is everything growth over everything? Why is our life growth over everything? Why do businesses push growth over everything versus this idea of can we just slow down and enjoy and be sustainable and and really reconfigure our lives around a different pace and rhythm? Okay, let's do a story on that and then mm-hmm. let's do the counter story because you and I like to be umpires and argue. Yes, I think there is a counter story let's, as well. Let's do the mm-hmm. anti ESG movement too, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. That's, okay. That's sort of taking on. <laughs> um, well, that's a lot to, to get into. So, yeah. Um, Libby, anything else? No. I think it's a beautiful day, so go enjoy. (laughs) We really thank everybody for listening. Um, We'd love it if you could leave us a review. It helps other listeners find our show. Um, So check us out uh, as you you can. And uh, we really thank you guys for listening. And Libby, have a great weekend and a great weekend to all our listeners. Yes, you too. Thanks, everyone. This is America This Week with John and Libby. We say have a great weekend.